Good morning. My name is Keith Kozik, and I'm the Associate Director of Youth Ministries at this church, and that's a real fancy way of saying the junior high youth pastor. So, hey, uh, the thing that makes me kind of unique about my situation here is that I have grown up in this church my entire life. I've been here since I was five years old, and the greatest thing is that many of you have served me as vacation Bible school teachers, as Sunday school teachers, and I'm living power and living witness of what God can do through a person's life through this church and through the ministries of this church. Amen. I want to thank Pastor Denny for giving me the opportunity to speak. Uh, That was very generous of him. Also, he will be up here next week after three weeks. That deserves a big round of applause as well. Why don't we uh, go before the Lord in prayer? Dear God, this is your moment. This is your time. And we want to give that all over to you. God, I just pray that you'll let me say what you want me to say. And God, that we would have fun learning about you and be challenged learning about you. And God, you would make us into who you want us to be. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Before we get going into my lesson, I need to bring up a picture for you guys. It's going to be right up there. And these... I'm going to refer to these children several times, so I want you to know who they are. This is dumb and dumber, okay? And depending on the day, one is dumb and the other one is dumber. The one on the left, that is Cohen Joshua. He is four years old. Cohen can make anything into a weapon. He he is a 100% boy. You can turn a loaf of bread into a ninja sword. He's amazing like that. And... And he looks just like his mother, so he's very good-looking, as you can see. The one on the the left, that is Caden. He is six years old, and he looks just like his father. He is really, really good-looking. He is. (laughs) I get that all the time. People come up to me and say, he looks just like you. And I said, he's really good-looking. And people go, yeah. And then they go, wait a second. I just called him really good-looking. So that's the way I stroke my ego a little bit, so... Um, my two sons, we have tons of fun together. As you can see in the picture, we play t-ball together. Uh, I was, you know, lucky enough to be their coach. We play deck hockey together. We're teaching them the nuances of football. That's a little bit tricky for four and six-year-olds, uh, how to get first downs, things like that. We are working on things like, you know, to teach them sports. We love video games as well. I mean, we play the Wii U, the Nintendo 3DS. We are always playing games and having a fantastic time together. Um, I want to focus in on Caden just for a moment. Caden loves Legos. I mean, just absolutely loves Legos. For the last two, three years, every Christmas, every birthday, the thing he always asks for, Dad, I need Legos. I want Legos. Can we get more Legos? And so, like I referred to, on Thursday, it was Caden's birthday. And the big set that he wanted, we are, we are Lego Star Wars people, by the way, too. I mean, we are huge in the Lego Star Wars. He, Caden had been asking for Jabba's Palace for a, about a half year. He'd be, he was asking, Dad, 
I need Jabba's palace. I want Jabba's palace. Please, can you get me Jabba's palace? Get me Jabba's palace. Get me Jabba's palace. And so sure enough, on his birthday, his grandma was kind enough to get him Jabba's palace. And at about 8.30, when his party had wrapped up and, and everyone had kind of gone home, Caden turned to me and, and he goes, Dad, can we build Jabba's palace? And me being the parent that I am, said, well, buddy, let me think about it. And that's the parent's way of saying no. The nice way of saying no. Is that not true if you're a parent? You're like, let me think about it. And that's the nice way of saying no. And so in the morning, at 8.30 in the morning, he wakes up. He comes into my room, and, and he's like, Dad, can we build Jabba's palace? And, and the idea is this, there is 717 pieces in this thing, okay? That's, that's four, five, six hours of your day you have to clear. And of the 717 pieces, I'm putting together about 700 of them. And the 17 that he's going to put together are the two little, the Lego guys, the Lego figures that they snap together from their bottoms and their tops. That's what he puts together. He puts together all 10 of them. And, and dad has to put together the remaining 700 pieces. So he's like, dad, please, please, please. And I finally turned to him and I said, what are the Lego figures that you really want in this? And he turns to me and goes, I want Jabba, which is the big power slug thing in, in, in the picture if you've never seen the Star Wars. And I said, all right, let's open it up. And so I, I put the, he put together his three Lego figures, and there I was stuck with the pile of Legos that I'm still in the, in the, in the beginning works of putting together. Because at some point, like I said, it's going to be me, 700 pieces, and a bunch of directions that look just like this. I promise. There it is. <laughs> and, and that's how Lego instructions look like. They're just, if you look up at, above the number 11, there are three pieces. And what happens is, is you have to see where those pieces go. You have to kind of look at the picture and go, okay, I've got to put those pieces there. And then you go to, to number 12. You have to see where you know, those four pieces go as well, and then 13 as well. And what happens is, is on, with Legos, they just keep building upon themselves and building upon themselves and building, until you get your finished product, Jabba's Palace. Now, in the midst of building this, building this whenever I have to do this, at some point, I'm going to start thinking these things in my head. The first thing I'm going to start thinking is, is this really worth it? Because this is 700 pieces, this is four, five, six hours of my life. And what happens is, I know at some point my son is going to play with this, and especially the four-year-old. When the four-year-old Cohen starts playing with it, you know what happens? It's going to break. It's going to break in half this tower, and then the boys are going to bring it to me and go, Dad, can you fix this again? And you're like, oh, I just spent hours building this thing. And so that's what I know is going to happen at some point. I'll have to fix it again. And so I start, when I start building this, I wonder, is this really worth it? The next thing that will happen is, as I'm putting Jabba's palace together is that I will f somehow misplace pieces. And they'll either be in the box, they'll be in the bag, they'll be, I, I thought I had them on the table, they'll be below the table, and I'll spend these hours, and, like, and I'll start yelling for my wife and the kids, did you take the pieces? Where are these pieces? Come on, they got to be here somewhere. I'm looking everywhere. I can find the pieces. 
And then sure enough, it was my own fault. It was, you know, it's in my pocket or something. Like, oh. And so I'll, I'll be like, am I missing pieces? That always happens. The last thing that always happens whenever I build these huge Lego sets is I'll start to really wonder, are the directions right? Because look, I'm looking at this. I know what the end product's supposed to look like. But what I have over here, it just doesn't seem like it's going to end up looking like that. And that rebellious spirit within me is like, am I going to do what the directions say? Or am I going to blaze my own path? Because you, you struggle with that as a man. You're like, oh, what am I going to do here? Am I going to follow the directions? Or am I going to go do what I want to do? See, all three of those things. Is it worth it? Am I missing pieces? And are the directions right? I think we all feel that way in our own lives. I think we feel that way in our lives and we start wondering, man, am I just missing something here? And aren't the directions really right? Is, is this God's way? Is this really the best way? And I start wondering things like that. And we wonder that in our own spiritual lives all the time. At least I do. Am I missing something or the directions right? See, there's, there's a huge difference between building a Lego set and our own personal lives. At the end of the day, I know what this is going to look like. I know that at the end of the day, whenever I spend my four, five, six hours building this, it's going to look like Jabba's palace. The hardest part in our own spiritual lives is the end of our lifetime. Only the creator knows what we're supposed to look like. It's the only thing. He's the only one that knows what I am supposed to look like, what I'm supposed to be made into, and he's willing to make me into what he wants me to be, into what he decides, this is what you are supposed to look like. And the only way to get there is to follow the directions step by step by step, just like the Lego directions. And, they, and these directions also, they build upon themselves just like the Lego instructions, bit by bit by bit. If you got your Bibles, if you'd open up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is the place, first place that we're going to look. Give your iPhone, your iPad, or if you really want, you can just tilt your head up, and eventually they're going to be right behind me as well on those big screens. Let me set the... Uh, Set the background for what's going on in this story. Jesus has come down to the Sea of Galilee. And when he's come down to the Sea of Galilee, he's always drawing a crowd wherever he goes, and people are following him. And eventually, at some point, he's going to preach, and that's what people want him to do. They want him to get up there and to speak, and, and these people around him. And so Peter, who's been out fishing all night, he's gone out fishing, it says, and he has not caught much. And so he was kind of frustrated by that. He's, he's been out fishing. And so what he's doing is, is he actually has his nets up. And they're actually drying and he's scrubbing his nets. And what happens, is, uh, as I did a little research, is whenever wet, uh, nets get wet, they shrink up. And so fishermen have to stretch the, the nets back out so they don't shrink all the way down. And so they have to continue to stretch them out. So Peter had just got done doing that. He is stretching out the nets again. He's, he's just got done fishing and, and he meets up with Peter and Jesus meet up, I'm sorry, at some point, and they start talking. And what happens is, is 
basically Jesus asked him, hey, Peter, can I borrow your boat? Now, it's not to go out fishing. It's to make an amphitheater very similar to what we have here. Jesus would get into the boat and shove off from shore from six to eight feet like so. And, you know, shores tend to go down. So the people would stand and everyone could stand and listen to him speak. Much similar, very, very similar to what we have here. And so Jesus is, you know, borrowing Peter's boat and he's getting done speaking. And this is where we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So what does Jesus tell Peter to do? He tells him, hey, go back out fishing again. He says, Peter, I want you to go back out and go fishing again. And I want to stick with this Lego theme, so you're going to have to follow with me because I'm a youth pastor, okay? We stick with themes. <laughs> what happens is, is Peter gets this invitation from God, and it's not a huge invitation. It's a simple invitation. He, steps, he puts a little Lego brick on his, in his hand and says, listen, what I want you to do is go back out fishing. And Peter, there had to be that part of him that said, look, I just got done fishing. We went all night, and I just dried out my nets, and are you sure this is what you want me to do? And Peter's like, is this what you want me to do? And so Peter kind of roundabout says that in verse 5. He says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night long and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. And he's like, look, I went fishing all, night, all last night, and I didn't catch anything. But because you say so, I'll do it. I'll go back out and listen to what you have for me. See, that's one of the most important things about our spiritual lives is obedience. When we feel that little tug in our heart that God wants us to do something, that we need to do it. And that tug in the heart may come in, in different ways. Maybe it was coming to church this morning. You felt like, I need, I know God wants me to do that. Maybe it's the tug in the heart, you need to join a small group. Maybe it's you need to start fo following God a little bit closer, start reading your Bible more. God plays those little tugs on our hearts, and he's just saying, hey, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And the best thing that we can do when God lays them upon our heart is to, is to say, all right, God, I'll do whatever you want. Verse 6 and 7 go like this. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled the boats so full that they began to sink. Peter goes out fishing. He's obedient. He listens to what God says. And he lets down his nets. And as he's pulling up his nets, they're completely filled. And so much so that it says that his nets actually begin to break. And so he's pulling and he's yanking and he's like, I can't get all these fish in. And so he signals for his friends, come here, come here, come here. I need your help. I need your help. And so they all start yanking all the fish in. And they, they're finally like, just throw the fish into the boat. So they start throwing the fish into the boat. So much so that the boats begin to sink. What God has done here is proven himself faithful. Jesus says, listen, if you take a little step of faith, if you just simply do what I tell you to do, I'm going to prove myself faithful to you. I want you to think in your own life. 
the steps in your life where you know, I knew that was what God wanted me to do, and I didn't. Think back in your own life, and it makes you feel alive spiritually. It makes you come alive. And I know that God is working in our lives. And those are the feelings and those are the situations we want to be in all the time. We want to feel like God is using me. God's working through me. God is building upon me. And that's what Jesus wants to do, even in our own lives, which is he wants to prove himself faithful and that you can trust me. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. So after he has this experience where he goes out and he goes fishing and God proves himself faithful, do you know what happens to him? He's drawn to his knees because probably for the first time he realized who he was compared to the great God Almighty. He's drawn to his knees and he says, Lord, who am I? You need to get away from me because I am unworthy to be in your presence. And when God proves himself and we live obediently, he just keeps proving himself over and over again. It draws us into a deeper life of obedience, which can, enables us to let God draw upon him and more of him in our lives. And it keeps making us more who he wants to, us to be. Now, you may be sitting out there, and, I'm, I'm, and I want to be you know, cognitive of this fact. But you may be sitting out there and say, I've never had an experience like that. I've never had one of those experiences where I felt like God wanted me to do this or I, I, that tug in my heart. And what I really want to offer this to you and I really want to say to you is that pray to God that God would reveal himself to you, to reveal himself to be faithful and to be trustworthy, that he would, that he would reveal himself in a mighty and powerful way. Because I can't say, God, if you pray this, God will do that. That's absolutely impossible. But what God will do is prove himself faithful in a way that you'll understand. Peter was a fisherman. And so he said, hey, take a simple step and go fishing. And whenever he went and took that simple step of faith, God proved himself faithful by providing him lots of fish. He met his need in a way that only Peter would understand. And if you're asking God, God, please, I'd love for you to meet my needs and to build upon me and to make me into who you want me to be, Prove yourself faithful to me. Ask him for that way. And he's going to meet your need in a way that only you will understand. This isn't some exclusive club for Christians, only for a highly, high, you know, people completely filled with the Holy Spirit or anything like that. No. God wants to meet your need in a special way. Just ask him. Let's skip down to verse 10b and 11. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed him. See, at this point, what happens is that Jesus puts a big Lego brick into Peter's hand. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And I want you to leave everything that you have and follow me. Verse 11, so they pulled their boats up from shore, left everything, and followed him. 
See, when God calls us to do something, when he lays that big thing in our hand, he says, I want you to come do this. Trust me. I've proven myself faithful to you in little things. Now, come follow me in big things. I got a bigger, better plan for you. Our natural tendency is to be that, is to be afraid. But does Peter waste any time? No. He plays the big Lego brick that God has for us and says, all right, I'm going to drop everything and follow you. See, when God lays that big Lego brick in our hand, and some people call this a calling or this is a purpose in life, whenever God lays that into our life, until we play it, until we say, all right, I trust you, we're going to struggle spiritually. Because God has a bigger calling for your life. He has a bigger reason for your life. And until you say, God, I want that, we're, our hand is covered with this. And, and sure, we can play little Lego bricks, and God can do certain things in our lives. But until we accept what God has for us and, says, and say, God, yes, that's what I really want. I really want what you want. I really want your calling. We're going to struggle spiritually because this is what God wants us to do. Maybe you find yourself in that situation where you know, I know this is what God wants me to do, but there's this that relationship or there's this, there's that. Ask God to give you the strength to fulfill whatever he wants you to do. We're going to skip ahead to Matthew. I'm sorry, I actually skipped back for you guys. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be. And we're going to be at verse 21. Before we get there, I want to tell you this story because this story always, in both Mark and Luke, these two stories are always together. So in the Bible, what that's really telling us is that these, two, this, these events that happen, they either take place on the same day, within the same minute, or within the same week. These stories, these things happen back to back. This is what happens. And so Jesus is sitting around, I, I like to think, the campfire with his disciples, and, and they're kind of hanging out, and they're talking. And Jesus, being the great teacher, the great professor that he is, decides, I'm going to ask these guys a question only to set them up with another question. And so that's what he does. He says, hey, who do the people say I am? And, you know, he's asking them, who do people really say I am? And you kind of sit that, picture them, they're sitting around the campfire, one speaks up and says, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. And that was his cousin who had died already at this point. And he's like, all right. And other people say, well, some people say that you're Elijah. And Elijah was the great prophet of the Old Testament. And some people think that you're just him raised from the dead. And other people go, well, you're, you're Jeremiah. You're the weeping prophet of the Old Testament. And he's like, all right. And then Jesus asked the question that he really wanted to ask him. He says, but who do you say I am? And I picture it got real quiet there for a minute. They're all looking at each other. And really, is there a better question we can ask our own selves in our own lives? I mean, really ask yourself, who do you say Jesus is? It got real quiet and kind of like how I did in here. And you, they're all looking in their soul like, oh, man, who, what am I going to answer? What, what's the right answer here? And Peter stands up. He says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. 
And, Peter, and Jesus just couldn't have been more proud of him. I think he ran over to him, probably gave him a hug, and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by anything other than my Father in heaven. And upon you, Peter, you're going to be my rock, and I'm going to build my church. See, Peter has proven himself that, that God is just keep continuing to build upon him. And, he's, and imagine this, your hero, your idol, the guy that you love the most, is saying, look, I'm going to build my church upon you. You are going to be my main guy. And oh, Peter had to grow so much spiritually in that moment. But then what happens is, is verse 21, and that's what I want to focus on here for a minute, happens. Because there's always a, a bigger plan with God. This is verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. See, he, he's starting to get it. Peter's getting it. The disciples are getting it. They're starting to live by faith. And they're starting to practice their faith. And they're starting, he's getting it. Yeah, they try to truly have faith in me. And what does God want to do? Jesus decides, I'm going to real, reveal back the curtain here. I'm going to show a little bit more. And he starts telling them the truth, the real mission, which is, I am here to die. I'm here to die for the sins of the world. And you gotta, you've been proving yourself faithful to me, so I'm going to let you see the inside story of what is really going on. And so this is all part of the plan. In verse 22, though, Peter doesn't always follow the plan. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. So here's Peter. I, th I think after Jesus says this, he kind of pulls him aside and he says, Jesus, and he starts talking to him and he says, listen, I know you think you're going to die, but what's he do? He rebukes him and says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Have you ever been rebuked by someone lesser than you? Rebuked by someone who didn't really know what was going on? I, I had this happen to me the last night of vacation Bible school. On the last night of vacation Bible school, Brent and all the kids were up here, and they're dancing. They're getting their, their, their dance on. They're having a great time. And all the, the junior high kids and the, and the high school kids, everyone's dancing. And the song that Caden loved more than any other song, which was, My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do comes on. And he's in there, and he's just in full dance mode. He's sold out. His whole heart's into it. And so I see him, and, and, he's, and he's in this row right over here. He's right here. L lucky you guys. <laughs> and so he's sitting there, and he's dancing. And so what I do is I grab him by the hand, and I say, why don't you come up front? I, because my plan is, is if you come up front, you can be with the big kids. You can have more fun. You'll have more freedom. It'll be awesome. So I grab him by the hand, I grab him by the finger, and I said, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, Mr. Hayjack. <laughs> so I bring him around out front. You going to dance for me? Oh, sure. <laughs> That's awesome. I want my kids to go to knock now. <laughs> so he's up there dancing, and after about two, the, the 10 seconds of dancing, all of a sudden, these big crocodile tears just start rolling down his eyes, and he's crying. He's crying. 
And I go, what's the matter? He goes, I just want to go back, which is I'm sure how you feel too. I do, I do. I want to go back, good. So as I put him back in his seat, he turns to me, and he looks me dead in the eyes. I mean, just right in the eyes. And he points his little finger at me. And he goes, you were wrong. You were wrong. He must have learned that from his mother. I don't know. And so he go, I, go, I go, you were wrong? What are you talking about? I was bringing you down front so you could have more fun, so you could have a better time, so you had more room to dance. It would have been better. But in his mind, you know what he thought? You've taken me from the five-year-olds, which is my class, and put me with the four-year-olds. Whoa. Like I'm this horrible parent. And so I'd taken him from the five-year-olds and put him in the four-year-olds. So he's crying. He's like, you were wrong. I wasn't wrong. I had a better plan. I, had, I was making your life better. You just didn't see it. And it's the same way with Peter. In verse 23, that's why Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. See, God, or Jesus at this point, lays a big Lego. I'm going to die. I'm going to be betrayed. This is what's going to happen. I'm letting you know what's going on. And Peter, instead of going, okay, that sounds good. I trust you. He put his hand around that Lego and said, never, never am I going to let you play this. I got a better plan. And that's the same thing we do in our own lives. When God starts doing things that we don't understand, Peter didn't understand at that point. And that's why, Peter's, that's why Jesus says to him, you are a stumbling block. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And so when we think of things only from our perspective, we get messed up spiritually. Because from Peter's perspective, what he said is, if you picture it, he's, I don't want my friend to die. I don't want my hero to die. I don't want Jesus to die. I love him. I care about him. And that's where, and it's okay. Listen, I want to make this real clear. It's okay to pray things like, God, you know, heal me of this. Or why did that person get cancer? And to pray for things. But we also have to understand that God has a bigger purpose in mind. And when we wrap our hands around the Lego and we try to control it, then God can't work in our lives. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel dry spiritually on the inside. You don't feel like you're connecting with God. You don't feel alive because maybe you're trying to control what God wants. The best thing we can do is open our hand and say, God, whatever you want, I trust you. Because God has proven himself faithful to Peter. And he's revealed himself, and, and Peter's growing in his faith, but then he tries to control everything. And that's when we stumble spiritually. I'm going to close with this one last story. Go ahead and skip ahead to Matthew chapter 26. Whoop. Matthew 26 is where we're going to be. And I'm going to tell you a story from Luke. And this is, this is the Last Supper. And this is the night where Jesus is betrayed. And what happens is, is right before the Last Supper, 
before he's going to be betray the, the disciples, this is in Luke, and just trust me, I wouldn't lie to you. <laughs> he start, the disciples start arguing amongst themselves. They start arguing amongst themselves. Which one of us is going to be the greatest in heaven? When we die and get to heaven, which one of us is going to be? And they're literally, they're having this discussion. And Jesus has to be going, really, tonight, guys? This is the night I'm being betrayed. It's all going down. It's, we're all, I'm going to die here. It's all at the end. And you guys are arguing amongst yourselves. Which one of you are going to be the greatest? He had to be like, oh. He had to be so frustrated. And so that's why Jesus takes this tone with him in Matthew 26, verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall, fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of, and the, of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Jesus insults them huge here. They've spent three and a half years following him. And at this point, he turns to them and says, listen, you're all going to fall away. You're all going to act like you don't know me anymore. And they, they all had to be shocked. Like, Really? How can you say this to us? We followed you through thick and thin for three and a half years. And this was a huge blow to their pride and their ego. And God says to them, you're all going to fall away on account of me. Verse 33, Peter being who he is and stepping up as he always did, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of me, on account of you, I never will. He's like, listen, all these other you know, schmoes, they may fall away, but not me. I never will. See, at this point, it's all about pride and ego for both of them and for all the disciples. Not, you know, Jesus has told them, you're all going to fall away, and they're all going, no, we won't. No, we won't. We will never do this. I will never do this. Well, let me ask you this in your own life. How many times have you said, I'll never say that again? I'll never look at that again. I'll never act that way again. I'll never treat that person that way again. And how many times have you gone back and done it over and over and over again? Do you know why? It's because you are not relying on God and you're not being made into who God wants you to be. When you say statements like, I will never, you're on your own. You are acting completely apart from God. And God will not help you. Because you're saying, it's about me. It's about my pride, my ego, and I'm never going to betray you, God. I'm never going to do that. See, when, when Peter and the disciples were told, you're all going to fall away on account of me, they should have been like Peter in the first story and got on their knees and said, God, please, no. Don't let this happen to me. Please have mercy on me. Please, if you're saying we're all going to fall away, please don't let that happen. And instead, they dug on their heels even tighter and said, we will never do this. It was all about them. And it certainly wasn't about God. Verse 34 says this. Jesus tells them, I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter does disown him three times. In fact, to a little girl. But Peter declared, verse 35, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 
And all the other disciples said the same. I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said, and they all fell away. See, if you want to act apart from God and you don't want him, and again, this is the amazing thing. They are followers of Jesus. They are true followers. They've been through him thick and thin, and they've just decided we are not going to accept the blocks that you have for us. We're going to go do our own thing. God will let you do that. He will. He'll let you walk away independently and say, all right, if this is what you want, go ahead. We had a story like this. I want to tell the story to illustrate this. Is that in the Kozik household, we used to eat ego homestyle waffles every day for like a year and a half. I mean, we, we, I am so sick of ego homestyle waffles, it's unbelievable. And what would happen is, is I would sit there and I'd cut up the ego homestyle waffle every morning. And Cohen, my youngest, he was about two, and he, he watched me cut it up every morning. Well, the one day he put his little hand on my hand, and he turns to me and goes, I do. And I go, you do? I do. And, I, and that's one of those tough moments as a, as a parent. Because you're like, you want to encourage his independence and you want him to go out and do his own thing. But you know he can't do it. And so I was like, all right. So I gave him the plastic fork. I'm sorry, the plastic um, knife and the plastic fork. And he's sitting there and he's trying to cut it up. And it falls off his plate onto the table. And I pick it up and I put it back on it. And I go, daddy do. Daddy do. You know, that's what you say when you're a kid. And he grabs my hand and goes, I do. And I say, all right, you can do it. So... He's sitting there struggling some more, trying to cut this waffle off. Well, sure enough, it falls on the floor, and I pick it up, and I go, Daddy do, Daddy do, I do. And I'm like, all right, whatever. He struggles with it for about two more minutes, and then he turns to me finally at some point and goes, Daddy do. And I go, Daddy do. And I cut up his waffle, and I gave it to him. But it's the same way in our own lives. God will never, ever force you to accept what he has for you. You have to decide that. And once he reveals himself faithful and trustworthy, you have to decide, okay, I'm going to accept what God has. I'm going to do exactly what God wants me to do. The other opportunity or other option is this. Now, you may look at that, and I'm a pretty good Lego builder. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You can look at this. And see, you can walk away from God, and you can pursue your own things. And you may even get them. You may get that huge house, that great job, that huge car, everything you want. You might have the best retirement plan in the world. And you can keep pursuing these things and obtaining them. And really, from the outside world, when you look at them, that compared to that, well, that looks a little bit more appealing. I'm not going to lie. Because it's tangible. I know what I have to do. And I don't have to follow God so closely. I don't have to always do what God wants me to do. I can do what I want to do. And so you may build the greatest kingdom of all. And it may look like this. But there's something real important you need to know about this. It's empty. It's empty. It's full now. <laughs> And I even talked about my Lego building ability, too. Crap. <laughs> it's empty on the inside. And you know that. When you start doing your own thing and following your own passions and pursuit, and you leave God behind, it leaves you completely empty on the inside. I promise you, this is the only way to love 
joy, peace, patience, purpose in your life, connecting with God and feeling that, oh, that inner peace, that will never provide it. Only doing what God wants you to do. I want you guys to bow your heads real quick. And I really want you to be honest and vulnerable with yourself. Which person are you? You're the person from the first Peter that, was just, that just does what God wants them to do. And if that's you, I want to tell you, great job. Keep doing it. Keep it up. That's awesome. God's so proud of you. Keep feeling alive and purposeful. Are you the second Peter that's trying to control everything where you have that, that tight hand over what God wants for you? You have your hands so tightly around it that God can't use you because you want what you want and you don't want what God wants. Are you the last person saying, I will never this and I will never that, but on the inside, you, you've built up this great kingdom, but on the inside, you're empty. And you know it. And you're deciding, I don't want this kingdom anymore. I want what God wants for me. Be honest, be vulnerable with who you are before God. It's going to get real quiet for about 20 seconds. And whatever you need to say to God, I want you to say that to him. your eyes closed, I just want you to listen to this last point I'm going to make. I opened up with asking, is it worth it? Is doing what God wants worth it? I've never met a righteous person at the end of their life that ever said, I, I really regret doing what God wants me to do. However, I, I have met lots of people who said, I wish I would have just did what God wanted me to do. In my missing pieces, I asked you. You're missing pieces if you're comparing yourself to the world's perspective and you're trying to build your own kingdom. You're not missing pieces if you're doing exactly what God wants and you're following him step by step in every part of the way. And the last thing is, are the directions right? The directions are always right. You just don't know what God's making yourself into. You need to trust him every step of the way. We're going to close us in one final prayer. God, thank you so much for answering the prayers of so many people and giving me the opportunity to speak, God, and, and that I said hopefully what you wanted me to say. And God, what, whoever we are, wherever we are before you, God, that we would be just continue to be vulnerable before you and be transformed into the people that you want us to be. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. That was a powerful message and three incredibly powerful questions. If you need somebody to pray for you or with you this morning, we're here for that. We'd love to pray with you about one of the questions that you're struggling with, some of the questions that you may have in your own life. We want to do that. So you come as others go that way.
Next Sunday morning, we're going to continue our journey with the Word of God. We're going to be asking a question that Jesus asked in Matthew chapter 20. What do you want me to do for you? We're going to spend some time in communion next Sunday morning, and then the end of the message, spend some time asking God for healing, specific healing in a variety of ways. We've done it before on a number of occasions. I want you to know now what's going to happen next Sunday morning. And so if you need to seek God for healing specifically, whatever that may be, we're going to ask the same question that Jesus asked. What do you want me to do for you? And we're going to pray that way next Sunday morning. Following Sunday, fascinating response to that. We can pray for you. Let us know. If we can pray with you, we'd be happy to do that. God bless you. Have a great, great day.